be glad in it. We serve an awesome God as we are celebrating this Advent season, celebrating the coming of our Lord and Savior, and anticipating of his coming back again. We welcome you to join us to worship and fellowship here at Zion with a little something like this. Oh, 
for the time of Advent where we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the word Advent, just in case you don't know what it means, you hear people say that all the time, you're probably saying, well, what does that mean? It's talking about the the coming of someone noble. (laughs) Someone that is of somebody. That's what Advent means. So so we celebrate, we call this time the Advent season because it's the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The birth of him. Amen? Amen. We'll be reading from the Gospel according to Luke chapter 3. The Gospel according to Luke chapter 3. We're going to go down to verse 7. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. And it reads, When the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, You brood of snakes, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we are safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. The crowds asked, what should we do? John replied, 
If you have two shirts, give one to the poor. Yes, if you have food, share it with those who are hungry. All right. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, Teacher, what should we do? Yes, he replied, Collect no more taxes than the government requires. What should we do? Asked some soldiers. John replied, Don't extort money or make false accusations, and be content with your pay. Everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon, and they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. John answered their questions by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. Yes, so much greater that I am not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Yes, sir. He is ready to separate the chafe from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chafe with never-ending fire. Amen. to say that I 
love you more than anything. I love you, Jesus. I worship and adore you. Just want to tell you, Lord, I love you more than anything. I love you, Jesus. I worship and adore you. Just want to tell you, Lord, I love you more than anything. I love you, Jesus. I worship and adore you. Just want to tell you, Lord, I love you more than anything. I love you, Jesus. I worship and adore you. I just want to tell you, Lord, I love you. I love you, Jesus. I worship and adore you. I just want to tell you, Lord, I love you more than anything. Oh, I love you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. I love you more than How many here love Jesus? How many can confess, Lord, I love you more than anything? Lord, we love you. We bless your holy name. For you are God alone. And you are worthy that you be praised. And Father, your great love, we ask you to minister to us. As we prepare to hear a word from you, O oh God. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening, that we might have your word hidden in our heart, that we might not sin against you. And, Lord, we'd be so mindful to give you all the glory and give you all the praise, for it all belongs to you, we pray. Amen. Amen. How much he loves us and how much we love him. We want to talk about today how love leads to repentance. Because how much our God loves us, 
Look what he has done for us. How he has provided for us. He has sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for our sin. We, we think about while we were yet sinners, while we were yet fighting against him, while we were still rebelling, he still sent his son to die on the cross for our sin. Why? Because he loves us. John 3.16, right, God has Jesus expressed to us his love for God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. We understand how awesome love is, but here's another thing about what love is that sometimes we don't like to deal with is some of the hard parts of loving relationships. People that love you enough, love you enough to tell you the truth about yourself. Uh, this this takes courage. Uh, this takes someone willing to be emboldened and to speak truth into your life. This kind of love seeks to give warnings and directions into your life to help lead you in the right way. Uh, we have some people that don't want to hear what you got to say, but those that love you want to say it anyway. The, the choice is up to you, though, to follow these instructions, to follow these directions. Life choices need to be lived out and not just talked about. A lot of people have good intentions, but their actions don't match up their good intentions. But when we love somebody, love has another way of calling you to be propelled or pushed because love motivates. Love motivates people to do extraordinary things. Love gives us hope in in hard times. Uh, Love helps us speak light to others who are going through adverse circumstances and situations. And also love gives people permission to speak very intimately into their lives. Love gives people access to parts of their lives they don't give everybody access to. So when you love someone, you can tell them the difficult situations. You can sit down with them and tell them that I don't think this is good for you. And they can receive and know you're not judging them. You're not trying to condemn them. You're not trying to put them down. But yet you're trying to speak life and purpose and power into their lives. But as we know, there's sometimes that we there's some people that we love and we love back that we don't want to be around because we know they're going to tell us about ourselves. They're going to let you know that I don't think I like what I'm seeing in you. And you know that. So you try to avoid talking to them at the Thanksgiving dinner. At the Christmas dinner, you, you try to talk to all the other aunts and the uncle, but that one aunt that keep on asking that same old question, when you go finish school? And you just like, I don't want to have that conversation, so let me find another way around this room. But here we find in our text today that there are people in such a position that sometimes we might find ourselves in a position that we are in need of direction. We're in need of encouragement. We're in need of instruction. And we want to turn to those who are looking out for our best interests. And here it is that God has sent John uh, to be the one to speak out of the wilderness. We talked about last week how Isaiah speaking him as a voice calling out in the wilderness to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. And one of the ways that we prepare the way was through uh, repentance. And what I want to highlight here in today's text, we're going to look about how what does repentance look like? And how do we show that we have been transformed, that we have repented? But I also want to point out how we come to a moment of repentance when we choose to realize, when we make that choice to say, the way I'm living is not good enough. 
and I need to change and I need instructions. And here it is that uh, John is speaking power and truth to these people and they're coming out. No, now again, they're coming out into the wilderness. They're not going to a place of, of luxury, but they're going out to a place saying this man out here is speaking truth and he does not care who he offends. Y'all don't hear me. And he is speaking truth to help us out. The reason why I throw that one for free, I didn't read that part of the text, Pastor Christ. Thanks for reading. He didn't read that part of the text. But you go on, it says that he even talked about the king. And the king didn't like that. And so I want to highlight here is that John is speaking truth. He understands that God's word is good enough. And so what I'm not ashamed of the gospel, I'm going to speak that truth and I don't care who is going to offend because I know in its offense, it also brings life. So what does transformation look like? How do you know when one has a life changing event in their life? How do you know that you have been changed? How do you know that you were not just baptized and just became wet? And stayed the same. Well, let's look in our text and see what John tells us again. Looking at verse 7 of the third chapter, it says, When the crowds came to John for baptism, he said, You brood of snakes, who warned you to flee God's coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turn to God. Don't just say, to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. I'll stick a pen right there. Uh, tell your neighbor, judgment is coming. See, they want to say that, hey, we're coming out, John, because we heard this convicting message that if I get baptized, everything's going to be all right. And he's pointing out to them that just jumping in this water is not what God is looking for. Uh, he is looking for you to prove that you've been changed. I'm talking to somebody here. And so he's pointing out to them, you're coming out of here saying, hey, we've been baptized, but we're going to go back living the same old life. And he's pointing out to them, you brood of snakes who warned you of the wrath of coming. Another translation says, you brood of vipers who's warned you of the judgment that is coming. So what's happening here is that the understanding that God is coming back. They are being prepared for the coming of the Messiah. Because how they're understanding this is that when the Messiah comes, everything is over. So they're understanding that if he's coming and he's getting ready to come, we want to be right so everything will be all right. That, that's sort of like how my mother would tell me to wash the dishes or do some chores when she left the house. And I did everything I wanted to do while she was out of the house. Soon as I heard the car pull up, all of a sudden, washing dishes. What, what, what's the minimum I can do to not face wrath, not face punishment or penalty for not doing what I already could have done? We know today is the day of salvation. Harden not your hearts. Don't wait for tomorrow because tomorrow is not promised. And so here it is, they understanding that time is precious. I need to get it right. So let me go out and get baptized. Let me go back and live my life and everything's going to be all right. John is letting them know that, nope, not having it. Don't come out here trying to act, you're trying to get right when you're not right. See, he's pointing out to them another thing, too, that uh, we sometimes do that 
we try to live off somebody else's faith. He says, don't come out here saying you saved because you are the children of Abraham. You, you, you're not saved by your mother's faith. I know we sing that song, my grandma prayed for me, right? But but yet, yeah, I'm glad she prayed for you, but yet you got to know for yourself. You got to believe in yourself. And I, I think about this, how we understand this, the doctrine and the teaching and the purpose of faith as individualistic, how we got to personally believe for ourselves. I can't go off with somebody else's faith. Because even when I think about this little child cartoon, many of us are familiar with it, with Peter Pan. And notice how you could only fly if you believed. You couldn't fly because you saw Wendy fly. Tom had to say, hey, well, it's not working for me. Well, think happy thoughts. Okay, hey, it's working. I can fly, right? Each one individually had to have their own happy thoughts. But, yeah, we, we teach faith as if, like, well, somebody believes you can just hop on with that. But Peter Pan is more specific. Isn't that something? So we understand that if i got to believe for myself that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, then for myself, I will change my life. I will prove that I've been changed. See, they're not safe just because they're children of Abraham. Matter of fact, he points out to them that God can make children of Abraham out of stones. Lord have mercy. And that's why I like the song, so the stones won't cry out for me. While I still have breath in my lungs, able to move my limbs, I'm going to wave my hand and worship my God. Won't no inanimate object take my place. Because you know, Jesus didn't die for the stone. Y'all don't hear me. But I'm so grateful that he understands that he can change our hearts. But they need to have a change of lifestyle to show you've been changed. You're not saved by somebody else's faith. You're not saved by just having perfect attendance to the place of church. You're not saved just because you got baptized on that day. I want you to understand the salvation power is not in the water. The baptism is an outward expression of our lifestyle change. So we must prove we can be changed. So we might be familiar how John is speaking to them, but yet we know in our more modern vernaculars that talk is cheap. I need to see results. Don't tell me. Show me. And so John is saying the same thing. Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turn to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. John is calling them to show they are God's children by a change of lifestyle that reflects God as their Father, just getting baptized is not the end. That's the beginning of a changed lifestyle to continue to live a life transformed and obedient to the call of God. They need to change their character by being known as brood of vipers from being known as followers of God's John's excuse me. John is calling them out in Luke's text. Basically, he called the whole crowd snakes. I want to emphasize this because in another text that it seems like he's only calling the Pharisee and the Sadducee, but John is basically in here, Luke is pointing out that he's putting them all on notice, that God cannot be played with. Don't come out here just trying to get right so you think you're going to be right, but you're not right. You got to change from within. Tell you never, you got to change within. <laughs> no, we, we give a lot of lip service. We get a lot of, of um, voices, and, but yet our actions don't line up with what we say. 
John goes to make sure they understand that though you are descendants of Abraham, it does not remove you from facing the wrath and the punishment of God. So now he done woke them up. Verse 10, it says, the crowd said, what should we do? Now we ask the right questions. How do I show repentance? How do I show that God is real in my life? How do I show I've been changed? First, he teaches them to be benevolent. He says, share what you have. John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. We're in a time now that we are giving gifts and people are being very philanthropist and benevolent at the giving. You've seen a lot of people taking advantage of that seizing of giving, right? Of many of them having opportunities to, for you to donate or give at the end of the year and increase your, your, your donation and process, right? And help care for those who are in need. But yet the Bible is telling us that this should not be just a seasonal thing. This should be a lifestyle. That we should be committed to giving and caring for those who are in need. That we should be looking out to help those as we can help one another. That we can literally look around my neighborhood and realize that my neighbor will help me out as I will help them out. We need to learn how to give and give even when it's not comfortable. Y'all don't hear me? We serve a God who freely forgave us of our sins, who canceled our debt and restored our credit. Then we should be able to share with those who have less than us. Second, he addresses the tax collectors who are to be baptized. Look at how he tells them. He, he basically tells them that you need to change your ethics. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, teacher, what should we do? He replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires. He's pointing out to them that excess is too much. The, you are exhorting and you are, you are extorting and taking from people you should not have to take He's pointing out to them that, yes, the step of baptism is a great step, but yet you want to show change in the way you do your business. You can sense a difference in the attitude in Christian organizations and Christian business. You see scriptures up on the walls. You see them speaking words of blessings and encouragement. But some other business models that will have Christian principles, you can see how they treat you differently when you walk in. It's, it's not as friendly. It's not as bubbly. It's not as warm because there's something about a Christian attitude that wants to be family. Why? Because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. If I see you as my brother and sister in Christ, then I'm going to make sure you feel comfortable in this space. Think about what we say to people that we count as family that are coming to our house, right? Make yourself at home. That means you make yourself comfortable, have access to stuff. If you need help, ask, right? You go to some stores, right? They don't want you to ask them anything. I'll be happy you keep on walking by, right? I think that's all they do is listen to the song. Walk on by. That's all they do. But you go to other stores, they meet you at the door, they meet you in the back. How can I help you? What can I do right? Different principles, different attitudes to show that we are a community. How can I help you and serve you? The tax collectors are being ingrained in this time because you understand how the tax collectors work. This is what happens. A person wants to be a tax collector, not because uh, they care about the government. No, that's not the reason. They care because they want money. And so what they do is say, I can, they have a certain, they basically have a bottom line they're supposed to get. But the one person, I can get you more. Because if they can get more, then they can keep the access in their pocket. And so they give to Caesar what is theirs, but they keep everything else in their own pocket. 
And so here it is that he's pointing out that don't run them saying corrupt practices. Just take what is needed and to satisfy. And they should see that you are not like the other tax collectors. Within the church, they should see families not like families outside the church. They should see men and women and children living a life of purity, integrity, and honesty that reflect them going to knowing Christ as they go to church, not just talking about church. Not making an allowance to cheat, to fuzz lies, and living in gray areas and ethical disparities. But we will walk in the light, live in the light, speak truth, love truth, and show truth, and be women and men of integrity. 30 speaks to the soldiers. And when he talks to the soldiers, uh, the soldiers now are people of authority, uh, people in power. And sometimes those who are in authority and in power sometimes think that rules don't apply to them. And so he's going to point out to them, this is how you ought to change. He's pointing out to them that your life is important. He replied to the tax collectors, collect no more taxes. Then he, then the, he went to the soldiers and they replied, don't extort money or make false accusations and be content with your pay. And so when you look at this, goes on to them and says, and share what you have. If you have two units, share one. If you have more food than, than the next, then share. We serve a God who freely forgave our sins. And when you look at this aspect right that he's telling them that don't extort money or make false accusations. So think about that for a moment. How a soldier can just put you in prison because he got the power to say so. He did it. Who's going to fight against the soldier? False accusations. And then extortion money. I'll protect you if you pay me a little bit more money. I will protect you when it comes collecting taxes if you pay me instead of the task collector. Y'all don't hear me? See, they, they, they were hustling out there in the streets. They were content with their pay. And what can I do to get more? If I, then also, if I arrest you, guess what? Who's going to protect your house? I'm going to take everything that's in there. That's what they did. And so here's the situation. That even uh, when Jesus teaches in Matthew, the, the uh, Sermon on the Mount, they're talking about how, you know, the asset pushes the soldier pushes to go one mile, go two. Jesus was teaching us even then how to respond to these soldiers who oftentimes, and so the story tells us that each Jewish child knew at least two miles of their neighborhood so they could go that extra mile and know how to get back. So a soldier put them into work they would be able to do that and be able to come back to where they live. Because they understood that some soldier in there would just will force people into labor. We understand the force into labor because Simon of Cyrene was forced to carry the cross. And so we understand the soldiers like to use their authority and do it at their power. But yet he's speaking to them, don't, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't get caught up with loving the money. Don't do things for greed and don't do things for selfish gratification. They should not abuse their authority or accuse others because they can pass the blame and not take accountability. They should learn to be content and pay and uh, content with their pay and know that God is able to supply their every need. So when we look at the food of repentance, he's dealing with those three groups, right? We can think about ourselves. How can I show? I've been changed. But today is the day. Here's what he's pointing out, that judgment is coming, and we've got to be on inventory. Verses 15 to 18 says, everyone was expecting the Messiah to come, 
soon. And they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. John answered the question by saying, I baptize you with water. But someone is coming who's greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not even worthy to be a slave and untie the straps of his sound. I'm going to take a moment right there. I want you to highlight the significance of what John is saying. He says, I'm not even worthy to unlash his sandals. What did Christ do at the Last Supper? He washed their feet. I want to highlight something here. John is pointing out that the lowest job of a slave, I'm not even worthy to do that to who is coming. But the master of all souls is what it means to be the servant of all. That he was willing to unlatch his disciples' feet and wash their feet. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the shaft from the wheat and the winning fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the shaft with never-ending fire. John used many such warnings as he announced the good news to the people. I want to highlight here to us that though we may say, hey, I'm not a tax collector, I'm not a soldier, uh, I, I'm, I'm not dealing with them same issues. I want to highlight there's something that God is looking in your life that he's not pleased with. And the sad thing is that you already know what that is. That's why oftentimes we don't want somebody to tell us about something we already know about ourselves. We cut them off. Before they even start going, I know where you're going with it, right? I already know, I already know, I don't need to hear this. Here it is that we want, we want to be able to be in such a space that we're open to hear what can change our lives. They were so touched by John. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts, John might possibly be the Christ. They understood that this message was so good, it changed my life so much that he must be who we were waiting for. So we might as well get ready now. He's letting them know I'm not the one. The one who's coming is greater than I. And he is, he is coming to save and he will also judge. Jesus came and also showed us how to live a changed life. But also he's shown us that he also will judge us if we are not obedient. And so in the same process, he's pointing out to them that the, the, when the axe is at the root, right? It's a, it's a very vivid sign of if you ever seen anybody cut a tree, they first line the axe up to where they're going to make that first chop. So he's pointing out that he's already in progress. He is about to start swinging. And so I want to point out here that he's pointing out that as you're waiting for Christ to come, once you understand that God is preparing to judge. But the beautiful thing about this is that we have an opportunity to see change in our lives. That if we can repent, hallelujah, and we show the fruit of repentance. And, and here's the beautiful thing. Our repentance does not change our forgiveness. God has already forgiven us, but are we walking in his forgiveness? I mean, have you See, God has already forgiven you, but have you changed? Basically the same situation as in you, are, you have brand new clothes at home, but you're going to walk around in your dirty clothes. And the situation, everybody's going to say, well, why won't you change? Because you didn't, you chose not to change. It's not because you didn't have access. You got access. And so same situation. Why are we going to walk around in sin and shame and fear when God says, I have this already for you? The choice is yours. John is pointing out to them that, hey, 
Don't get baptized thinking that that's going to change how you're going to live when you have not changed from the inside out. We want to be baptized not because that's what saves us. We want to be baptized because we are saved. Because we have repented and we have confessed Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And think about what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is the release of and the, and, the, and the cancellation of debt, basically to be let go. And so God is willing to let go our offenses. He's willing to let go our penalty and our punishment because Jesus paid it all. You understand? Somebody had to pay the debt. And so when we place our faith in Jesus, the beloved Lamb of God who takes away the sin. Of the world. We are now being part of that family and know what it means to be redeemed and be set free, to be justified because God now calls us just because we have placed our faith in the one who is just, who is righteous, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. So John was preaching, calling them to repent. And notice that how much God loves us. He's willing to speak truth into our lives. Even when we're not willing maybe to hear it. But my encouragement for you today is have you sent in the inventory and checked in where do I need to be cleansed? Where do I need to change? What needs to be changed in my life? And just give it over to the God and be a change of lifestyle. A good way to find out is staying in your word, reading your word. And the Holy Spirit, hallelujah, definitely can convict us, transform us, and change us. So I encourage you, sow fruit of repentance. Let people see you live for Christ and not just talk about Christ. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for in you we have liberty. In you we have freedom. So, Father, may we turn away from the bondage of sin and the heartache and the, heartaches and, the tra- and the troubles that we're dealing with in our own sin sickness. And, Lord, may we see the changed lifestyle in our lives and we submit and surrender to your will. Have thine own way, almighty God. Lord, there might be someone who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior today and realize that, Lord, today is the day of salvation. Father, I pray that you bless them and guide them to find a Bible-believing, preaching, teaching church to help them grow and help them mature and be the children of God you called them to be. Father, we ask you to continue to look upon us and show us, Lord, that uh, where we've fallen short, oh God, where we are weak, so we can surrender to you, Lord, that we might be strong, that we might walk in your light, walk in your purpose, and walk in fellowship with you. Help us, O oh God, to stay faithful, to stay focused, and continue to seek your kingdom and your righteousness. And truly, Lord, you'll add on all these other things. We're grateful for your grace and your mercy, and we bless your holy name. In Jesus Christ's name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us this morning as we continue to worship our God, be able to give to God. Uh, through tithes and offering, you can give online uh, through our website, www.zionbcpeoria.com. Also, you can download our app and be able to give through our app. And as we continue to worship our God here, uh, we will continue to, give, to do that through our, our tithes and our offerings. And we all thank you for joining us live right where you are. God bless you. May he keep you. And know Jesus loves you. And so do I. Until we meet again, God bless.